Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Lighthouse Church. This beautiful Sunday morning here in South Florida. Let's begin by praying together at this time. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord. Our sins was buried and was raised from the dead on the third day. So whoever simply believes in him will never perish, but has eternal life. Father, this morning, we also wish to thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We thank you this morning, Father, for the body of Christ. We thank you for all the gifts that you have given each one of us in a special way, manifestation of the Spirit to serve the church. We thank you for the Word of God, which is alive and powerful. And we thank you for allowing us to gather together in freedom this morning. We thank you for each and every member of our congregation. We ask this morning, Father, you look after all of us, and particularly those who are in most need. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. At this time, let's stand and sing a congregation song. All right, you may be seated. Um, an announcement this morning. We looks like we may have found a new space to have our services on on Sundays. Um, please keep that in prayer. Um, if everything works out and it's looking more likely that it will, um, we'll st- probably start in the new space at the beginning of June. Um, it's on Federal Highway in Lighthouse Point. That should sound familiar. Um, it's about a half a mile south of where our old building was. So again, keep that in prayer. Very excited to see how that is progressing. Um, very confident that uh, that will be uh, that arrangement will be met and we'll be able to get into a space of our own. So again, keep that in prayer. All right, please turn at this time to the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verse 20. The Gospel, 30, 30. Gospel of John, chapter 12, verse 30. Jesus answered and said, This voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Now, judgment is upon this world. Now, the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. The crowd then answered him. We have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, For a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke, and he went away, and he hid himself from them. As we've seen in verses 31 to 32, Jesus describes four things which were about to occur at that time. The first one, the judgment of this world. The second one, the casting out of the ruler of this world. The third, Jesus being lifted up from the earth. The fourth, Jesus drawing all men to himself. We've completed the first two of these, the judgment of this world 
and the casting out of the ruler of this world. Today, we will begin with the third and then consider these last two. Jesus being lifted up from the earth and Jesus drawing all men to himself. Now, judgment is upon this world. Here's a brief review of where we've been. Remember that the world is the sphere of operations for fallen mankind as it lives in hostility to God. The sphere of operations for the fallen mankind, unregenerated, as it lives in hostility to God. This world has already had its day of reckoning. It happened when Christ died on the cross. At that moment, he was victorious over the forces of this world. The day he died on the cross, he had a victory over the forces of this world, and judgment has now been applied to this world. Of course, the world still exists, but it has been judged once and for all. Now, judgment, verse 31, now judgment is upon this world. Now, the ruler of this world will be cast out. He said now, it was the decisive hour when Christ went to the cross. Then the ruler of this world, the devil, was cast out. And remember that here, cast out means being stripped of power and authority. The ruler of this world has been stripped of power and authority. Remember at the cross, there was this amazing transfer of power and authority from Satan to Jesus Christ. We saw that in Hebrews chapter 2 and Colossians chapter 2 last time. Okay, so now we begin this morning in verse 32. And if I am lifted up from the earth, this is Jesus, if I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. Well, what did Jesus mean by I am lifted up from the earth? Verse 33 tells us he was he was saying that to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. In other words, he would be crucified. When he says when he says if I am lifted up from the earth, he's talking about being lifted up on the cross, which would happen only a few days after he spoke these words. By the way, this marks the third time in the Gospel of John that Jesus refers to himself as being lifted up, third time. The first time was in chapter 3 of the Gospel of John. I'd like you to turn there now. Please go back to John chapter 3. We're going to read 13 through 15, verses 13 through 15. No one has ascended into heaven, but he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Jesus descended from heaven to do the work that his father gave him. That included, actually, it was it was um, the climax was when he died on the cross. And he was lifted up. After that, he was raised from the dead and ascended back into heaven. In other words, he was lifted up again. He came down. He was lifted up on the cross. He died. And then he was raised from the dead and he ascended into heaven. So first he was lifted up in agony. Then he was lifted up in glory. So in other words, this, this description of being lifted up is talking about his death on the cross. But re- remember... Once he died and rose from the dead, he would then be lifted up again into the heavens to return to his father. And all of that really is in view 
in our passage this morning. In fact, let's go back now to John chapter 12, 32. John chapter 12, verse 32. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, remember that's on the cross, and then he died and rose again, and then he was lifted up again, this time into heaven. If I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. This tells us that Jesus died on the cross for all human beings. He said all men. Jesus died for all human beings, Gentile as well as Jew. And I'd like you to turn to Acts chapter 26. Verse 22. Acts chapter 26, verse 22. This is Paul now, towards the end of his of his ministry, really, and he is now speaking and he's describing what it was that he taught to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 26, verse 22. Give you a moment to get there. I am I lifted up from the earth, Jesus said, I will draw all men to myself. Acts chapter 26, verse 22. So, having obtained help from, help from God, this is Paul, I stand to this day testifying, both to small and great, to everybody, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place. What was that? That the Christ was to suffer, and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be the, the first to proclaim light to both the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. It's interesting here that he uses that expression light because Jesus is about to say the same thing about himself and that, that, that people are to be, be the light while he was still there. Notice also that he talks about in verse 22 the fact that, 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 this, that Jesus was going to suffer, the Messiah was going to suffer, and by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light to both the Jews and the Gentiles. Well, what does he say about that in verse 22? He says, everything that I'm going to, I said there is what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place. Now, what's significant about that is that Jesus is talking to this crowd. He's talking to a crowd of Jews. He's talking to the very people that the prophets and, and Moses spoke about spoke to, wrote to. In other words, they should have known everything concerning the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ because the prophets and Moses, Old Testament said that their Messiah was to suffer. That's, by the way, in Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, among other places, and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Boy, we're in Isaiah chapter 49 right now on our Thursday evening study. That's exactly what we're going to see. We'll exactly see that he would be proclaiming, remember, not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. That's in the Old Testament. That's in, that's in Isaiah chapter 4. In other words, the Pharisees and the chief priests, at a minimum, should have known this. They should have understood. See, they were, remember, they were, they were expecting, the people especially, were expecting the Messiah to come and to be victorious in battle, and to set up a kingdom and remain on earth. That was their vision. But their vision was faulty because they didn't understand that before he was going to do that. Then again, this is the prophets of Moses pointed this out, that he had to suffer first, that he had to suffer first, and then be raised from the dead. 
All right, let's go back to our passage in John chapter 12, verse 32. John 12, 32. You see, see, these two verses, very significant, very full of important aspects. All of it leads, of course, the last thing is what he says at the end of verse 32. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. In other words, he did everything that happened at the cross was so that preparing the ground for that all men could hear the gospel and believe. When Jesus is speaking, the time is about to come. The hour has arrived for the Son of Man to be glorified. How? In his death and resurrection. What have we seen? We've seen at the cross system was judged. That sphere of organization that fallen man lives in, in opposition to God. That's already been judged. Judged. It's already been declared by God to be evil, in other words. And deserving of being destroyed, which one day it will. At the cross, the ruler of this world was cast out. What's significant about that? Well, the ruler of this world is the enemy of God, the enemy of the gospel. Just like the world system was judged on the cross, the ruler of this world was cast out at the cross. Now, um, we're building to something, just like Jesus is in verses 31 and 32. I want you to think, first, world system. You know, we have Jesus says, I'm not of this world. He says, in the world, you will have trouble. Well, but that whole world is judged, which means that Jesus now is an authority. Now, not down here, but as far as being in heaven, God has given him all authority. And so so since we, as believers in Christ, are in Christ, that means that we are in that same position. We're not in that experience yet, right? We're still in this world. We're still subject to the attacks of this world and the lust of this world. But at the same time, we do, we face that. We live our lives now understanding what's already happened at the cross. We've already had the victory over the world. We've already had victory over the ruler of this world. Not because we did anything, but because Christ's accomplishment on the cross. And remember that God the Father took every, the hostility of the law and nailed it to the cross. So we've also been free from that. And then and finally we see in verse 32 that that sacrifice of Christ, it was a complete sacrifice. One sacrifice for all time by means of which everybody who believes in him is perfected. Well, that sacrifice of Christ on the cross was for all people, for Jew and Gentile. Notice the completeness again. I've mentioned this, and I'm going to mention it again. Notice that the coverage here. The whole world system was judged. That that's 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 all encompassing. Everything about the world in opposition to God. God sawed His Son on the cross and judged that. At that. At the cross, remember, the ruler of this world, the ruler of all of that, was cast out. His power and authority was taken from him. It's all-encompassing. Sacrifice of Christ was for all people, both Jew and Gentile, all people, all-encompassing. And so what, what now, what's left? What's left now is now that that's been settled at the cross, now Jesus draws all men and women to himself. Essentially, if you think about it, the battlefield's been cleared, and now he can take everybody who is captive and say, come now, come now, come to me, come to me, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. 
well, what is it now? While Jesus was still there, he was the light of the world. It was his person on earth that drew men to himself. And by the way, also, the, those who rejected the light were, of course, repelled okay, to, their, to their perishing. But now he's not on earth. So the question is, well, he's still drawing all men and women to himself. How's he doing that now when he's not on earth? And the answer is really simple, and I think you all know. Please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. Yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. What is it now? We're here on earth. We're still in a world full of unbelievers. And yet the Bible says Jesus is the light, right, that shines upon every man and woman. And here at, at the what Jesus accomplished at the cross, he now draws all men and women to himself. How does he do that? First Corinthians chapter one, verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to what? Preach the gospel. It's not in cleverness of speech. So that the cross of Christ would not be made. After a minute, the Bible has told us what happened at the cross all the power and authority that was given to Christ on the cross. But now the word of the cross is now, notice it's foolishness to those who are perishing. Just like in Jesus' time, there were those who rejected him and they perished. Well, now the word of the cross, that's the gospel of Jesus, that he died for our sins. That word remains foolish to those who are perishing, those who would rather be in the darkness than in the light. However, but to us who are being saved, okay, it is the power of God. Those that are attracted to Jesus Christ, the word of the cross now is the power of God. Everybody who believes now has that power as ambassadors and can use that power, not of ourselves. It's not like we speak the word and power you know, comes emanating from our body. It's the word itself. It's the message of the cross. It has the power to save. And all of us who are saved understand what that power accomplished for us now because now because jesus died on the cross and rose again here's the here's the deal every man and every woman receives an invitation to believe in christ in other words the, the ground has been cleared the invitation has come anyone who wants to can come to jesus christ can be a, can, is attracted to him in that sense and again that invitation is the gospel the good news that Jesus died for our sins and was raised from the dead. That's why, you know, that's why this song this morning was so appropriate. It really covered the whole story. It covered from Jesus dying on the cross, being risen, raised from the dead, buried even, raised from the dead, ascended to heaven, and one day to come back. That's the good news. The good news is that Christ died for the sin of the world. He was raised from the dead, and whoever believes in him will never perish but has eternal life. Well, here in John 33, Jesus is confronting the crowd now. He's confronting them directly. And how's he doing it? With the word of the cross. So lift it up, he will draw all men to himself. Lift it up means him dying on the cross. So now they are, they are confronted directly with the gospel message. How did they respond? This, I want you to pay attention to how they respond. I think it will give you some insight 
it's when you have when you preach the gospel to people and it's not successful, right? This is the response we still often get. Look at verse 34. The crowd then answered, answered him, and they say, We thank you and we worship you, that you are about to die for our sins. We know that our freedom will be purchased at that time, and that by simply believing in your Son, in you, the Son of God, we are no longer subject to the law, and we are saved forever. Is that what you read in verse 34? That's, isn't that what we hope every time we preach the gospel, though? I was thinking this morning about a family member, and I, real, I realized that, you know, that's the one thing. That's the one thing that this person needs, obviously. Um, and I just prayed that he would hear a tremendous message, the power of the course. When I say tremendous, of course, it's nothing about us. It's all about the Holy Spirit conviction. Why? Because... I want the best for that person, and I want the I want Jesus to be glorified. I take the Father to be glorified by taking somebody who has nothing good about them, like we all didn't. We were all dead in our trespasses and sins, and by a simple message, that person is born again and receives eternal life. That's what we hope each and every time. Whether it's to a friend or a neighbor, whether it's to a family member, whether we hear the message when we brought somebody. Um, to church or to an evangelistic event and they hear the gospel. Well, of course, we already know. We've seen so often how the crowd is fickle, how Jesus in chapter 2, after he performed these miracles, it said that he didn't trust himself to any man because he knew it was in man. I had a conversation this week with a person who couldn't, you know, he's reading the Bible, he's reading the gospel of John, and he's looking at the miracles, and he says to me, how could anybody not believe in Jesus Christ if they were there and they saw all these things? It is, it is a mystery, right? But it's not a mystery once you understand what Jesus understood about the depravity of the human heart. And that, and that, that we'll see this morning that also that Satan, the forces of evil, um, while they've lost their power and authority in terms of dominating the world, they still have the ability to talk. They still have the ability to threaten. They still have the ability to blind. And because of that, even today, when we give the gospel so often, it gets rejected. And here I want you to, want you to notice how the crowd answered them. They didn't answer them the way I just hoped they would. What? How did they answer them? Notice this. The crowd then answered him, we have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? What's going on? What's going on? Right, they didn't believe, but how, what, how do they handle this? You know, they, were, they then, notice what they did. They said, oh, okay, wait, I don't want any of that dying on the cross thing. So what we're going to do is we're now going to change the subject. Notice that? That's what the unbeliever done. So they said, you know, gee, we listen to you saying this, Jesus, but we know in our law Christ is supposed to remain forever. So what's going on, right? How can you say what you said? Who is the Son of Man? Of course, they knew who the Son of Man was, didn't they? They were already, they were, their only reason, I want you to notice something, that Jesus doesn't say Son of Man in, in verse 33. It talks about himself. Yet they made the connection. They knew who he was. They knew what it meant that he's the son of God. They knew that notice 
that they connected the Son of Man with the Christ right in this very verse. And yet here they are. They're posing a question. They want to debate. This is how unbelievers act when they're confronted with the message of the gospel. They're trying to avoid it. Unless they're attracted to it and believe. I'm talking about the people who are, really don't want to hear it, right? And they know that, that they, they don't want to face the message itself. Because it's a very convicting message. The Holy Spirit convict the world, right, of sin, right, of righteousness, and of judgment. Okay, those That's powerful conviction. That I'm a sinner. That I don't, I am not righteous in God's eyes. And unless something changes, just like the ruler of this world has been judged, I'm going to be judged. You know, people don't want to face that. People don't want to face the raw reality of that. So what do they do? They change the subject. Right? They may not, they'll change it in different ways now. They might say things like, well, you know, what about the unbeliever in Africa who's never heard the gospel? What about that? Or, wait a minute, though. How can I be sure that Jesus is God? Right? Or, how can a good God send people to hell? Right? What are they doing? They're changing the subject. They don't really care about what they're asking. They just don't want to have to be faced with the implications of the cross. That's how unbelievers act. They change the subject. They raise a side issue about God, hoping you'll take the bait. By the way, don't take the bait. The last thing you want to do when you just preach the gospel to somebody and they're trying to change the subject and get you into a debate about some side theological issue is not to take the bait. It's to stick with the message of the gospel. Well, Jesus didn't take the bait. Look at verse 35. How did he respond? He didn't answer that question. He went right back to what was at hand, the stakes in that moment, the fact that they are going to be judged unless something changes. Notice John chapter 12, verse 35. Jesus said to them, for a little while longer, the light is among you. You're running out of time. You have this amazing, unparalleled opportunity here. I am here in the flesh. I've, I've shown you, I've, I've demonstrated that God the Father is, is at work in me. I've de- demonstrated how I fulfilled Old Testament prophecies. But I won't be here much longer. And, and so you've got to make a decision about me, Jesus is saying, while I'm still here for a little while longer. The light is among you. He's been saying that ever, ever since about chapter 9. He's saying, look, you know, I won't be here forever. I'm here now. He would say like, there's 12 hours in the day. And while there's, still, while there's still daylight, there's work to do. But now he's saying it's really a short period of time. For We'll see how short at the end of verse 36. Like really short. For a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light. So that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. Well, of course, he's using imagery, as we've seen so often uh, in the Bible, in the Gospel of John, in the book of Isaiah, but to, but to demonstrate a point, a reality. So when he says the light, he's not talking about the sun being up in the sky for the rest of the day, all right? 
I think I know you know this, but basically, just to make sure everybody hears this message, the light is Christ Himself. For a little while longer, Jesus is saying, I, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, I am among you. Walk while you have me, so that the darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know have me. Jesus is saying, believe in me, so that you may become sons of light. We'll see that that expression is next. When he says sons of light, he's not talking about people that, that walk around beaming with light, or as we've seen the Catholic saints where they have that halo over them. not talking about that. He's talking about simply believers in Christ. Now, when he says sons of the light, when the Bible talks about sons, it talks about in the likeness of, right? sons of Adam in the likeness of Adam, sharing the characteristics of Adam. Well, when he says sons of light, he is saying that these people share the likeness of the light. Who's the light? Jesus. So what is it saying? They share the likeness of Jesus. Okay, what is he talking about? Let's go to Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Romans 8, 29. The Gospel of the John of John is placed perfectly in the Bible. It's the last gospel, right? And and we've seen already that that about eighty five percent of the material in the Gospel of John is not found in the previous three gospels. We're about to see, and starting in verse uh, chapter thirteen, that he's then going to be talking directly about the church age, right? Which none of the other gospel writers talk about, by the way. Okay, they're still oriented to Christ as, as coming for the nation of Israel. But John looks beyond that. And he's going to talk to Jesus. He shows what Jesus talked about after they had the Last Supper meal, before they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's all about what's about to happen with the church, how the Holy Spirit is about to come. In any event, the reason I say that is because there's, there's great connections because it's so close. The Gospel of John, then the Book of Acts, then the Epistles of Paul. Epistles of Paul were to explain who Christ is to the Gentiles. Notice what, what Paul says in Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, in context with those believers, right? We would, we've been foreknown by God the Father since before the foundation of the world. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined put a plan together ahead of time, put all the resources in place so that the right time certain things would happen. Well, what are the certain things? That we as believers become conformed to the what, image of his son, that we be made in the likeness of the light, that we may become sons of light. He also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that Christ be the firstborn among many brethren. Well, Christ is the Son of God, but when we become born again, we're children of God too, right? We're brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. Not only do the sons of the light share the likeness, bear the likeness of the light, but they also display the characteristics of the light, the characteristics of the light. So in other words, when we're conformed to the image of his Son, Things change. 
We, we, we have now characteristics that we didn't have before we believed in Christ. And as we mature, we start to display those characteristics. Please turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. We bear the likeness of the light as believers in Christ. We display characteristics of the light as we grow, as we're being conformed. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Notice again the reference to darkness. As Jesus just said that, he says, you know, if you don't remain in the darkness, right, you don't know where you're going when you're in the darkness. All of us were formerly Okay, We were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk like you are as children of light, as sons and daughters of light. How is that? For the fruit of the light, the fruit of Christ, right? John chapter 15, I'm the vine, you are the branches, branches bear fruit. The fruit of the light consists in what? All goodness and righteousness and truth. Is Jesus good? Well, I think so. Is Jesus the is righteousness? Absolutely. Is he the truth? Well, he said he was. I am the way and the truth, right? So is this so we have characteristics of Jesus now being shared by being displayed by the sons of light. Now we also see Jesus talking about darkness, and we see it here. What does this mean? What does it mean that you have this, this opposite between darkness and light? Well, darkness is a symbol of judgment. It's a symbol of judgment. If you remain in the darkness, you will be judged. But not only that, it also includes the things that are worthy of judgment. See, when we were darkness, right, unbelievers, dead in our trespasses and sins, we were worthy of one thing, and that is judgment. If we, if we hadn't become believers, we would be judged on the last day and be sentenced to the lake of fire. It's that, that is clear from the word of God. We'd be, we'd be under the wrath of God forever. Darkness. It's a symbol of judgment. It includes the things that are worthy of being judged, which is what? Sin, the the world, and the, and the God of this world. Okay? Because we are born in sin, it doesn't change, we will be judged too. So darkness is a symbol of judgment. It's a symbol of the things that are worthy of being judged. And it also includes the penalty itself that results from judgment. When Jesus told a parable, and he talked about, this was after the centurion had believed, this, non, this non-Jew, this Gentile, he talks about the fact that there will be many invited to the, to the supper, but those who are, who are not invited will find themselves in the darkness, the outer darkness. What does that mean? Judged, right? The penalty of judgment is applied to them. Darkness, judgment. I'd like you to turn to Luke's, Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, verse 44. I got to tell you something. I do not like daylight savings time. I do not like the change. Especially, I mean, I kind of like the fallback. But putting those clocks ahead an hour, I don't know. I wish that it just stayed all the time because 
I'm not, I'm like still a little, you know, not what I should be this morning. I recognize that. Okay. I'm going to blame daylight savings time. So I'm going to do. Yeah. All right. Luke chapter 23, verse 44. By the way, at least I'm here this morning. Right. I'm here. I showed up. Right. You guys did it here face to face. Know what I'm referring to at this point in time. All right, Luke chapter 23, verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour. And what? Darkness fell over what? The whole land. This is another miracle, by the way. The fact is that that Jesus died during the Passover celebration. Passover celebration was governed by the moon and the phases of the moon. And the fact of the matter was it was a full moon. And it's impossible to have a solar eclipse during a full moon. This was another miracle. And I, and I want you to picture this. You have, the, you have the, um, the soldiers that are around the cross. You have the people observing it. We know that the high priest, had, as he was being nailed to the cross, were insulting him. Now all of a sudden, darkness descends on everything. I mean, that ought to give them a chill to their hearts at that point in time, right? God is moving. God is doing something at the cross. Nobody else could have. It was it was the sixth hour. By the way, that's noontime, right? And there's total darkness. Woo! And it stayed for three hours. It was now about the sixth hour. Darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour because the sun itself was obscured. When Jesus was doing what? Bearing the sins of the world, right? At Calvary. It was complete darkness. Why? What's darkness? Judgment. So what was happening at the cross? Judgment. It was time for judgment. That's why the sun was obscured. Jesus Christ was bearing our sins on the cross. Those sins were judged on the cross. And therefore, for that judgment, darkness descended. Please turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 3. Romans chapter 8, verse 3. We've seen that. We've seen judgment in the form of the world being judged. We've seen judgment in the form of the God of this world being judged. And now we're going to see judgment of of sin in the flesh. Okay, let's read that. Romans 8, verse 3. For what the law could not do, Weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. The whole thing. You see, sin is a, is a comprehensive word. Here we go again. It's not just individual sins. It is sin itself. It is, it is, it is the fact that with, with, with Adam rebelling against God, now everybody in the line of Adam is born in sin. And we were and we were, by the way, condemned, right, in terms of being dead in our trespasses and sins, when Adam fell. And so there's this, in addition to individual sins, there is, as it were, sin itself, the, the center of the rebellion against God. That was what was judged. It was all comprehensive. So in other words, it wasn't only our personal sins. You know, some people say, well, you know, we committed a lot, a lot of sins 
And the ones that we committed before we became a believer, well, they're judged. But after we become a believer, they're not judged until we do something. That's just not true. Sin itself was judged at the cross. That's all our sins. That's sin, that, that is the sin that's in our body, right? He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Right? Better translation there is the righteousness of the law. See, the law is righteous and good. Paul had just, had just said that in Romans chapter 7. That the law is good. The law is righteous. Of course it is. I mean, the standards of the law are all righteous, right? Have no false gods before me. Is that righteous? Of course it is. It's the right God. You should worship him, right? Thou shalt not lie. Is that righteous to tell the truth all the time? I think so, right? Thou shalt not kill. Yeah, so you could go through the whole, all of the law, and it's all righteous. The fact that there would be sacrifices for sin, that was a righteous thing because God was depicting there the death of his son on the cross, right, when he would validate the righteousness of God at the cross and then allow whoever believes in him to be seen as righteous before the Father. The righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh. That's walking in the darkness, but according to the spirit. You see, we may still commit sins, but we no longer walk in the flesh. In other words, walk according to the flesh. We can't. We walk according to the spirit. Why? Because because now the spirit indwells us and the spirit fights the flesh. And the flesh fights the, fights the spirit so that we may not do the things we desire. God sees us as those who are according to the spirit because we have the sin, we have the spirit dwelling us. But here, notice it's crystal clear when, it, when he says, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, that's his death on the cross, he condemned sin itself in the flesh or he judged sin. Darkness is judgment. The father judged sin itself in the flesh of his son. See, a lot of people want to say that the, the wrath of God, Jesus was under the wrath of God on the cross. Do you realize that that's really blasphemous when you say that? You know, people say that, well, God, God, you know, departed from Jesus on the cross. No, he didn't. He was judging sin. He was judging your sins, my sins, sin itself on the cross. As the bearer of sin, yes, he bore the, the punishment at that point in time, right? But God's, God loved him even more tremendously as he was bearing the sins of the world, as he was going through all the suffering he went through because of his father and obedience to his father. He condemned sin in the flesh. In other words, you won't find a, a verse that says he condemned Jesus. You're not going to find that because he didn't. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law, the righteousness of the law, might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The Father judged sin itself in the flesh of his Son. As we've seen, the cross was also a place of judgment for the world and for Satan, the ruler of this world. God has done his mighty work through the blood of his Son. He has dealt with all his enemies through the blood of his son, death on the cross, the enemy of this world, the enemy of the ruler of this world, the enemy of death, the enemy of sin itself. And 
through that, he's removed each and every impediment, thing blocking, that stood between him, God the Father, and the entire human race. We were the enemies of God. There was a barrier between us and him. Barrier was first and foremost. It says world. And, and death. And God has done a mighty work through the blood of his son. So all those things that stood between him and the entire he's already dealt with. What does that mean? What's the result of that? What's the implications of that? Well, as we've seen in this morning, every human being is now completely free to come to the light, both Jew and Gentile. Let's go to John chapter 8, verse 12. See, sin is darkness. Is it not? Of course it is. Right? Being being subject and living according to the desires of the flesh is living in darkness. Being under the domination of the God of this world is being in darkness. But what does Jesus say in chapter 8, verse 12? Jesus again spoke to them saying, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness Oh, I'll have the light of life. And everybody is free to come to the light now, to Jesus Christ, both Jew and Gentile, and be freed from the bondage of sin. Be freed from the fear of death. Everybody is free to come to the light. Anyone who hears the message of the gospel and believes it has eternal life. And Jesus has been saying that from the very beginning, John has said it too. That in the beginning was the word, right? And the word was life. And, and he was the light of life, right? So there's, so there's what, what it's saying in, being, in him drawing all men to himself. is drawing to complete light, to God's life itself. Anyone who hears the message of the gospel and believes in it has eternal life. And will never come into judgment. But you know what? It has to be the message of the gospel. Can't be the social gospel. Can't be the feel-good gospel. Right? It can't be adding to the gospel or subtracting from it. Right? Subtracting from it, by the way, is not mentioning the fact that we're all under sin. That's not the gospel. They need to know what it is that they're going to be freed from by believing in Christ. Right? It's not, it's not do all these things beforehand and then you're now free to believe in Christ. No. Because why? Because God has removed anything that would be an impediment. All you got to do is simply hear a message, believe it, and you have eternal life and will never, ever, 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 ever come into judgment. You will never be in the darkness again. You are in light. Now, you may can still, from time to time, you may... Do the deeds of darkness, meaning you may still induce sin, but you're never in the darkness anymore. You can't be. You're a believer in Christ. You're in the light. You are a son or a daughter of light. You are walking according to the Spirit, even though you still commit sins, because God has changed you completely. You're a new creation. He's already transformed, transferred you from the darkness to the wonderful light of Jesus Christ. But that's all for believers in Christ. Well, what about those who refuse to believe? What about those in the crowd that day 
who were going to reject him and ask for him to be crucified. And if they never and never, perhaps most of them ever came to believing in Christ, what happens to them? What happens to the people in, in our lives who hear the gospel, but they die without ever believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ? What happens to them? Look at John chapter 3, verse 18. John chapter 3, verse 18. Because John in his gospel talks about the light a lot. Jesus talks about the fact that he's the light of this world. He's, he, in our verse this morning, he's talking about light and darkness. Well, he had done that in chapter 3 as well. Look at John chapter 3, verse 18. Darkness is judgment. But look at verse 18. He who believes in Christ, what? Is not judged. There's no condemnation, none, for those who are in Christ Jesus. People may judge you, God never will. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe, what? Has been judged already. When they're in the darkness, they've been judged already. Right? By the very fact that they desire to remain in the darkness means they desire not to believe in Jesus Christ. Those who don't believe in Jesus Christ will be judged. They remain in the darkness. And he says it here very clearly. He who does not believe has been judged already. Why? Why? Because his sins were too great? No. Because he simply hasn't believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Is it because he didn't repent of his sins? No. It is because he did not believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Period. Is it because this, is it because he was he, he practiced another religion? Not necessarily. You can practice another religion and then hear the message of the gospel. If you believe in the gospel, now at that point your eyes are going to be open and you're going to hear the message. And the, the power of the message itself causes you to turn away from that false religion, by the way. Turn away from that. You know, that was talked about quite a bit. I mean, Paul in the book of Ephesians talks about these people that were into magic and they had magic books. The moment they believe in Christ, they're burning all of those. That's a great image. Return. You want to talk about repent? Well, talk about the fact that people turn from religion being the source of their salvation to Christ in his death and resurrection. I want to talk about a turn. Okay. Verse, verse 19 again. Now he says it another way. He's saying you've been judged already because they haven't believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. He puts it this way. Verse 19. This is the judgment that the light, Jesus Christ, has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. Does it say here, by the way, that they're imprisoned forever in the darkness? What does it say? They loved it. What does that mean? It's their own choice, right? You, by the way, you choose what you love and what you don't, who you love and who you don't, right? This idea that somehow you become, you know, captivated by this strange thing called romantic love, and then you have to marry the person. No, you don't. You choose them. If, if in 10 years your life is hell because you, you married, you can't blame anybody but yourself. Now, maybe if you live in India and you have an arranged marriage, well, then you can, right? When you choose freely, you can't. You have to face up to take responsibility, in other words. They choose the darkness. They love it. Men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. Now, this doesn't mean that anybody who has evil deeds can't become a believer. What it does mean is that 
is that people who won't face the message of the truth that they're sinners and that they need a savior and they need they need God to declare them righteous. Yeah, those are the ones. Their deeds are evil and they don't want to hear the message of the gospel. They love the darkness. Verse 20, for everyone who does evil, by the way, the greatest evil, what's the greatest evil that anybody can commit? Do you know what it is? Not, it's not being homosexual. Now, don't get me wrong. That's, that's a total aberration. That's a total rejection of what the Bible has to say. Now, there's only two genders, male and female, okay? And so, so um, but that's not, that's not the worst evil. You know, if you want to go back and you want to say, what's the worst evil? We saw this when we were looking at Adam and why he fell. Okay, it's because he didn't believe in the word, right? That God had given him. This is what you shouldn't do, right? Well, in in the case of now, in the case of believers and unbelievers, the worst evil is Jesus Christ. That's the worst evil to reject the very offering and sacrifice of God's Son on your behalf. You have you 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 are an enemy of God. You're dead. And your trespasses and sins. And, and now God comes along, the creator, the judge, and says, you know what? I'm, I'm going to give an opportunity here for you never to be judged. And here's how I'm going to do it. My, my son is going to go to the cross and die the most gruesome death. You know, the crucifixion was the people who designed that terrible means of death, designed it so that there'd be maximum pain and suffering before somebody died. And the father said, Go. You're going to do that. The father said, you're going to bear. Think about it. The perfect son of God is bearing all, all the sins in the world. He did all of that. In other words, he did absolutely everything. And all, all you got to do is hear the message and believe it. If you don't, that's the worst evil of all. Everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light. So that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. So quite simply, people remain in the darkness because they choose to do so. They choose to reject the light. They choose to reject Christ. They prefer the darkness to the light. If you prefer the darkness, and darkness is an, is an imagery for judgment, and what is that saying? You prefer judgment to believing in Christ. Well, guess what? If that's your decision, you know what's going to happen? You're going to be judged. Okay? So, just understand that. There's not there's no innocent people walking around who just never heard the gospel and are going to hell. God's not like that. You know, God, God is so gracious that if there's a baby who dies before they come of age, they're going to heaven. God isn't willing for any to perish. Any to perish. God, in, in chapter 10 of the book of Romans, Paul says, you know, because they, because they asked the same theological question to Paul. What about those who haven't heard? What was Paul's answer? Let me tell you something. The very stars in the sky are able to, God can use them to preach the gospel to people. I don't want to, I don't want to get into that. There's a lot of hocus pocus that goes around, unfortunately, but what that means. The point is, that, that God will get the message out one way or the other. Anyway, now, what does it mean to, to be in the darkness? I want, I want you to see a passage in the New Testament. I'd like you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. 
2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In other words, the gospel is only veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the already unbelieving, by the way. They were already decided not to believe. He's blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, who doesn't see the light? of the gospel. Unbelievers. Notice he doesn't say he blinds the minds of the innocent. Right? What does he say? He blinds the mind of the unbelieving. They've chosen to remain in the darkness. What happens to them? They're perishing. Why are they perishing? Because they choose to remain in the darkness. The gospel is veiled to them. Right? Because if you, if you put yourself in the darkness, then you're not going to see anything. You're not going to know where you're going gospel is veiled. Satan has blinded their minds. In other words, he's really happy made that choice, that they might not see the light of the gospel. But here's the important part of this, and it's, and it's the fact that all they got to do is turn to the Lord, believe in Christ, and that veil will be taken away. So they're choosing to have the veil stay. All right? That's so important to understand, because God isn't willing that any should perish. Okay, let's wrap things up today. Let's go to verse 36 in John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 36. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. What happened after he said that? Then these things Jesus spoke and he went away and hid himself from them. He wasn't kidding when he said that he's only a little while longer. He's going he's to speak the gospel one more time and then he's going to go off the stage. Okay? This was their moment, in other words. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and he went away and hid himself from them. This, at this, on this day, Jesus issued that grave warning to the crowd of Jews who had assembled for the Passover. By and long when Jesus says now, all men and women, it's also all-encompassing. This, this morning, you too have been warned. I don't know who's going to listen to this message. Uh, maybe somebody that, who's here today is a believer will say to one of their friends who isn't. You got, now, the light is the gospel of the glory of Christ. So there's some people who only have a little while longer to hear the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ and believe it. If you have not believed in the good news, the death and resurrection of Christ, now, 
is the acceptable time to do so. You do not know what your life is going to be like even tomorrow. And after that, the book of Hebrews says it crystal clear, inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. That's Hebrews 9.27. You only have the light of the gospel for a little while longer. Once you die, it'll be too late. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Okay, let's close this morning in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank God. Us, thank you for having these words in the Gospel of John this morning to wake us up, whether we're an unbeliever or a believer, to understand that all of us may only have a little while longer. And, and if we're not a believer in Christ, it means that we only have a little while longer to believe in him who has taken away the sin of the world. If we don't, we remain in the darkness, we remain in our sins, and we will be judged one day. But all we're going to do is hear the good news and we will be saved. Believe in the gospel that Jesus died for your sins and was raised from the dead. You'll have eternal life. You won't perish. So, Father, thanks for waking us this morning. Thanks for making it crystal clear what the stakes are, the urgency of people hearing the gospel and believing it. Help us, Father, if we're believers in Christ, to just to have a step up our intensity our awareness, our finding those times when you're giving us an opening to preach the gospel and having the boldness to, at that time. If you're an unbeliever, for unbelievers, Father, we know that the Holy Spirit's convicting them of sin, righteousness, judgment. And we also pray for them this morning, Father, that they would make that decision to turn away, to turn, turn toward the light, to turn to your son, Jesus Christ, in believing in him. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. 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 All right. We're going to be in chapter 49 of the book of Isaiah. Um, it's the second of the four servant songs in the, in the, in the prophet Isaiah. It's, it's, it is front and center. Jesus Christ is the servant. There's no, let nobody ever tell you that Jesus is in the Old Testament. We're going to see in chapters 49 to 53 of the prophet Isaiah just how clearly and directly the Old Testament preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. So please come and be with us on Thursday at 630.